welcome to Clap with Jane with Jane Clap. I know some of the most interesting and inspiring humans that are helping to keep humanity afloat in their own unique ways, even in the middle of a crisis. I want you to meet them too. Hi everybody, welcome to Clap with Jane. I have the amazing Kimberly Johnson with me, um, a colleague I connected again over um, social media with and feel a deep connection with her work. Um, if you don't know Kimberly already, I really suggest you visit her social media pages. I can't do her justice in her introduction, but Kimberly is a sexological body worker, somatic experiencing trauma resolution practitioner, structural integration body worker, yoga teacher trainer, birth doula, and single mom. She is the author of The Fourth Trimester, a postpartum guide to healing your body, balancing your emotions, and restoring your vitality. Kimberly specializes in helping women heal from birth injuries, birth trauma, and sexual boundary violations. She is the creator of Activate Your Inner Jaguar, an online course ushering thousands of women into their full voices and sexual expression, and the founder of Megamama.com. Thank you for being here, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing? Before we recorded, you were talking about your cold, wet walk in the park. You're in New York, so I'm assuming where we're, I don't know where you would have been walking, trying to picture. I was walking in Prospect Park. Mm, how was it? It's really beautiful. And some days it's a little more crowded than seems like it maybe should be, but um, it's my savior right now. So I'm really grateful for that I live so close to the park and that I get out every day and walk. But if I don't, I didn't do it one day so far and that day just did not go well. So really <laughs> grateful for that contact with nature and just fresh air starting my day. I, uh, I live in a bit more of a, I live in a pretty crowded area of Toronto. So going outside can be a little intense. Um, have you noticed like that when you think about going outside or when you step outside that you feel different than you did before the crisis or you like, do you, what do you notice? Cause you're a nervous system guru mm. and facilitator. I guess the morning walk has just been a routine. So it, that doesn't feel so much different, but for sure the streets are empty. There's less traffic. And then, within the park over the last month, people's behaviors towards one another. And, you know, it's sort of like, at first, hardly anyone was wearing a mask. Now most people are wearing masks. Um, just how the etiquette is with that. And, and I was laughing because uh, I passed the farmer's market yesterday and I heard someone yell, like, do you swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, I heard someone call someone else a fucking idiot. Oh, and I told my friend, like, you can't do that. I'm from California. You can't do that in California. I'm like, there's two things that are wrong with that. One is swearing in public. The next is name calling. Like you're not allowed to name call, but in New York, it, and then I told my friend who's Israeli that, and she goes, well, what are you supposed to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like control yourself. And like, I mean, I'm, like do a number of other things other than like take out your feeling on someone. But it was, it was just funny because it was basically about people policing each other. And that's like a big thing right now. So of course, holding your boundaries is one thing and then making yourself the boundary enforcer for everyone else is a whole other thing. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely not, and, and I haven't really walked till yesterday in the other direction. So I just was kind of walking in the same direction and walking in the other direction definitely felt weird because I hadn't seen, I kind of assumed that everything was closed, but there were a couple of things that were open mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's, it's, I imagine for people that live in the country and I have a friend who lives in Montana on the farm things are different for her, but not so different. But for us, it's like a, kind of like being in a ghost town. Mm -hmm. 
It's funny, it's so different culturally because I'm sure, I mean, you see so many, you have so many different people working with you from all over the world. And even within this, the US, I was like one, I know in one area of the US, like golf courses are reopening, people are having dinner parties. And then where you are, there's this like public shaming to get people to conform to <laughs> wearing masks. And I, it's just like, I, being a Canadian, we're about one-tenth of the U.S. population with a lot of landmass. So we have cultural diversity within Canada, but I'm just fascinated, like, looking at the U.S. from the outside, like, how incredibly different, like, culturally it is for for people in the U.S. And anyway, I, I just find it fascinating to observe and read and, and you being from the West Coast and then coming to the East Coast, too. It's like, it must have been a bit of an adjustment in many ways. Yeah, I love it here. I've lived here once before and I've lived in every region of the US except for the South. I've spent some time in the South, but I've never lived there. But I lived in Chicago for three years. I've lived in Denver. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Utah and then California and New York. I really appreciate the directness and that comes along with the swearing and sort of the more instinct towards a fight response than um like the passive aggressive style that i grew up in so <laughs> i appreciate that um like you think it you say it kind of thing and mm. it's not so serious but it's still jarring and uh yeah i like the resolution with the intellectual here it's uh in the in california it's not so stimulating intellectually but then there's the beauty of nature there that's a little farther away from the city. It's a very weird time to live in a city, actually. It's, it, I think all of us are kind of reviewing so many different ways that culture has shaped itself. And I love so many things that are Apollonian. You know, I love art. I love literature. I love culture. But this seems like a time that's very Artemisian. So to be in the city is strange. And I've I've had a lot of friends that have left the city and gone to Maine, gone to upstate New York. Uh, and for me, for whatever reason, I've just had the feeling that I'm supposed to stay here mm -hmm. and kind of be in the reality of my life as it is right now, where I chose to live. It's definitely calling into lots of question who we live close to and, you know, at the beginning of this, I was feeling a lot of sadness just to be so, my parents live in California, to be so far from them if something were to happen, that it would be very hard for me to get there. But now I feel like there is, there it's possible to get on a plane now. It's not mm -hmm. impossible. It's just strange. Um, I, it reminds me like your move from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I would say culturally, like Toronto's more similar to New York than the mm -hmm. west coast, the west coast of of Canada. Um, I one thing I love about your work is your relationship with active activation and challenging the idea around what regulation means and um, and access to libido, sexual libido in particular, as being a part of connecting with more activation in our bodies. Because I just find like trauma work and nervous system work falls short of actually helping people move towards truly like expressing themselves around their sexuality. And that's like a huge part of what makes your work stand out for a lot of people, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we're in this weird phase, I feel like in the, can we call it a trauma profession? Uh, <laughs> when I was a, when I was a, yoga teacher and a body worker i would always just say like i'm not interested in pathology like i don't i'm if i wanted to know about pathology i would have become a doctor but as we know if you're interested in bodies then pathology comes with it because we're humans so there's we have things that happen and it's not like i only want to know one part of human experience it's just that i don't want to solve discrete problems Although it's, you know, I knew how to and I could fix things. But I feel the same about the trauma world is like it's it, right now it's this 
it's people are so fascinated by it and magnetized to it and therefore it becomes a self-reinforcing mechanism that pushes the quote-unquote problem or what the person thinks the problem is farther in instead of being a touch point it's definitely helpful when you know what it means and you know you have some like breadcrumbs on your path but it's so limited when the flip side of it which is vitality and healing and creativity and expression isn't given its equal measure so for me the pleasure aspect of being alive and uh libido being part of that i tend to kind of avoid that word i guess because it's such a hot word for postpartum people always say like i have low libido and i just feel like our language with sexuality is so impoverished and segmented but for instance my daughter's in online school right now mm-hmm. and they're doing sex ed online and i'm like okay i understand why they're doing it because they are trying to be a good school and they're trying to fulfill their educational duty but what sense does it make when 12 year olds can't see their friends can't touch their friends can't really communicate with their friends to then be covering the most embodied topic also, those moments where kids get to like snicker or be uncomfortable in a room together and negotiate that together. I get that. It's, it's just fun. a segmentation from actual care. Like, yeah. it's somehow different. Sex, sex is different from caring about someone, is different from sharing a connection or having body to body space. It just shows to me that's how, it, that's how we think about it. We think like, oh, this is like a category of knowledge. This isn't the foundation of who we are. This is like a, this is another category. Like you're taking math and then you take sex ed. Like (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. Not that like learning math separately from life makes that much sense either, but it just, I was like, do you want me to get you out of this? Because I, I can't for the life of me understand how that wouldn't be so you know, unless it was somebody that was actually teaching you something like your own anatomy and how to contact yourself or what kind of touch would feel good to you right now or something mm-hmm. that was integrated. But PE right now for her is also happening. They get send a video and she's just supposed to do the video or a worksheet. So I looked over and I'm like, what are you doing? And <laughs> it looks like she was kind of doing cheerleading. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? But she was doing yoga poses, but each one just like, you know, and, uh, and, and I was like, did they tell you to like take a few breaths in each position or something? And she's like, no, they didn't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're just back, back around at the same thing of this separation of, of body. And, you know, I'm in the middle of, of writing the last draft of my book right now. And the book's not really about, um, I don't even think I really use the words feminine and masculine very much in the book, although it is about the fact that our nervous system is gendered and, um, and definitely influenced by our sex and our sex hormones. Uh, but I was thinking how even something like somatic reclamation is inherently feminine because this whole framework that somehow the mind was superior and our job was to dominate or master the body that is in every fitness um, ballet, uh, you know, it's all male ideas for male body types then imposed on the female body. And so this fragmentation of knowledge and segmenting it into categories really like where we're going now in the last 30, 25 years of is an inherently feminine thing to try to like put those pieces and see it through a hole again. I feel like we're talking, I, I spent a weekend learning about Eros and power in my Yankee training. And to me, like it's Eros is another way of saying feminine or anima in some ways, but it's not innately 
uh, saved for, uh, say, people who identify as women. Or it's just the function inside of us that helps us relate to ourselves for our parts to talk to each other more. And when I think about sexuality, it is all about eros. It's about relate. It's about whether it comes out through overt like sexual expression or creativity, it's the way we connect with other people and it's the way we connect with all parts of ourselves. And so when I think of how like starved we are to bring in sexual, our sexuality as part of coming back to life after traumatic experiences, I'm like, how is that being so left out? Like, where is the fear around that? And, um, and are we constantly afraid of just triggering people so we don't talk about it? Well, that's huge for sure. And I mean, yesterday in the class I'm teaching right now, I had someone teaching on fascia and immunity. And in her slide, she showed a body that had the skin layer taken off to show the fascia. And someone was like, I'm triggered. I can't hear anything else. Um, you know, everything should have a trigger warning. And it's like, you know, I mean, we can't just walk around with trigger warnings on our mouths, right? Like it, it's, and that's where I feel like the shadow side of trauma work has gone is, is assuming that everyone is so sensitive, assuming that everyone doesn't have the capacity to hear things. And it's also why I really feel like healthy sexuality should be included in trauma training because- yeah. Most people, as a culture, we don't know sexual anatomy, literal anatomy. Like, we, we don't know it. And then we don't even know male sexual anatomy. It's not just like, oh, we know male, we don't know female. No, we don't really know anything about sexual anatomy. Not that we know much about the rest of our anatomy either, but... Um, and when I went to the more advanced, quote-unquote, advanced trainings on sexuality, I'm like, this is just, this is more considered more advanced because this is more deviant and more outside <laughs> of the spectrum. Like it's not advanced because anybody here feels comfortable. And they were, everyone was saying pelvic floor instead of saying vulva or vagina or um, like it was all abstracted because that it was so touchy again, because there's these inherent separations that we've adopted and that we just take for granted and I feel and, like it's generational too no like my daughter can use language as a like blah, blah, like talk yeah. about and she's listening sorry but I won't say anymore <laughs> she's gonna edit this but it's just like matter <laughs> my daughter I was always piping in from the yeah mom I've already heard it before whatever <laughs> amazing yeah so it's like but we grew up in like a pocket a bubble in toronto that is like all about empowering bringing empowerment into understanding the body and consent has been such a part of her understanding of this work but it's like no big deal so sometimes i feel like it's just like freaking generational and we have to relearn how to relate to our bodies because we've been socialized out of it but generations coming up might have an easier time perhaps i think they will because we're doing the work and i also think that if you look at who writes most of the trauma books it's mostly men so far and it's mostly white men and it's also men who probably have been in the perpetrator role because if there's you know, and we've all crossed boundaries and we've all had our boundaries crossed. So I believe that like real healing means cycling up where we have space for all sides of the equation. And really my work is mostly about gray area, which most of us are living in. So we tend to think, oh, that's like, you know, perpetration, like that's out there or predator is like out there, not just like and not in a not in a metaphorical way of like we all have all the parts in a nervous system way that we need to be able to activate the predator side of our nervous system and for women specifically that's been an underdeveloped groove and that i don't know how i think it's the overall education changes and the expectations of um and even just like the variety of sexual expression that's 
accepted more now. But my daughter knows so many terms that I definitely did not know. Like, I mean, she knew what cultural appropriation was when she was nine. I learned that when I was in college. Um, So it's definitely shifting. And we still live in a culture that oftentimes the conversation, especially with sex, I mean, what people are presenting and what they're talking about and what's actually happening is usually really different. Yeah. Like there's huge shame buttons. People, I feel like are talking about their sexual, not their sexual trauma, but their relationship with their sexuality in a psychotherapy setting is going to be one of the last places we go. We can talk about traumatic memories, perhaps in a safe psychotherapeutic setting or <clears throat> coaching setting, but but talking about our sexual preferences, talking about how we've related to our sexuality, to dare I say masturbation or self-pleasure. It's like one of the last things that we're gonna talk about, but it takes me to like the word libido. And when I think of libido in terms of Jungian work, it's, it's creativity, it's sexual expression, it's like, it's um, life force. And I don't know if there's a better word that you use, but without a capacity to express that part of ourselves, either our, our sexuality, all of the creative, creative energy gets like, so sometimes when I think when people aren't interested in uh, expressing themselves sexually, I'm like, well, that to me is more of a, a symptom of the fact that they're being, they're repressing themselves in other parts of their lives in terms of their full expression of self, wouldn't you say? I think it's so complex because it's so um, layered in terms of if you're in a relationship or out of a relationship and how we imagine a sexuality that's like, I mean, I'm just thinking about myself and I can definitely have times in my life where I feel connected creatively, but not as connected to my sexuality. So I don't know if it always is in parallel. Um, I think it is your, if you're giving yourself space to express yourself creatively, then that to me is an expression of the broader term libido of life force, mm-hmm. right? So it might not find a place to express itself like it is sexually, but it finds another avenue to go somewhere. Yeah, I just, I work with a lot of people who, for instance, are very connected sensually, but not connected sexually. And it's, And it's, I wouldn't, they define that as a problem or it's something that they would wish was more connected. And then I work with people with the opposite who feel very connected sexually, but don't feel connected sensually. Mm -hmm. Um, Or people who feel like they know how to have good physical sex, but they have a feeling like, oh, I think this could be more spiritual and I would like it to be more spiritual. Um, Or people who feel very, confused about what a wider palette of sexual expression might look like. Mm. So I don't always find that it, like someone who's really alive in one area, it means automatically they feel satisfied sexually. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I feel like even if I'm very creatively expressed, which like right now I would say that I'm on a scale of one to 10, I would say I'm like probably at like an eight and a half. If I could interact with a few more people, I would, it would probably be higher <laughs> just cause I'm like a Gemini and I thrive off of interaction and I'm totally extroverted. So I love playing with strangers and um, like <laughs> having random interactions, which is another reason I moved to New York. Cool. Um, lots of random interactions <laughs> available <laughs> on the, usually uh, but I don't feel tremendously satisfied sex sexually at the moment mm-hmm. so I love how like just blunt you are about things like one of the things that I'm like damn you can say anything and be kind of unfazed by it <laughs> like, like if you listen to you're just like bomb 
where I am. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> like how how do you do that and and just keep going? Like I don't know how to just this is that's one of the things that makes you unique in terms of your online expression, so to speak. You're just like bam. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. And you can have the conversations. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just reflecting. I think on that, that honestly, I don't even, things that other people find controversial or like they can't believe I said it. I don't even know what those are sometimes. So it's because I don't, I'm not categorizing it in myself. I mean, for sure, like a couple of years ago, I did a video on anal sex and it was on Facebook and I was like I think my parents are gonna see this <laughs> and um and that was like an edge like am I really gonna do this like am I really gonna like you're gonna do my it parents watch me like I just figured well they'll probably won't I mean they probably won't watch it um but yeah I mean there's I would say that maybe occasionally I get nervous because there's certain topics of course like race that are so um there's so much collective trauma that it's so ripe for misinterpretation and every word to be hyper analyzed and everything but when people reflect back to me like you like how do you just say that i think it's just because that's like actually who i am so i just say it because i it really isn't separate to me i don't see why that why is that so separate why is it taboo why and as far as and I as far as my personal expression or like privacy, I've definitely gotten much better boundaries around containment throughout my life because I used to just be like my lack of boundaries was I considered transparency. So I it was like too much and not in the right directions. But as far as like publicly podcast with you or my own podcast or something else I feel like it's actually part of my mission is humanizing and personalizing something that's considered to be very specialized so if I'm you know you're when was when have you ever heard one of these big trauma teachers talking about their own sexual trauma never happen never and I know for a fact that they have it because mm -hmm. I know a lot of them personally. Mm -hmm. So um, I am in careful consideration with myself about what I talk about in terms of what feels safe for me to have out in public and especially with this book. Um, Do you I wanna tell us about that book? Cause um, it's really great. It's like, it's like the next stage in the conversation around nervous system recovery work yeah I mean this book is the summation of basically the last five years of in-person sessions and then online work so in person I was doing hands-in hands-on um, scar tissue remediation uh, birth trauma repair sexual boundary violation and then just really dealing with everything like prolapse hemorrhoids incontinence um, gynecological surgeries anything that was going on in the genitals basically um but with from a hands-on and trauma perspective so not everybody who came to me had hands-on work but a lot i did about 800 sessions mm -hmm. and uh through that work what i recognized was that i the women when i would ask them to role play with me of a wolf and a rabbit I would assume they would want to be a wolf because they'd been in the rabbit position so much of the time. But at that suggestion, they would already begin to embody a rabbit and they would cower or they would start to get in a different gesture to me submissive. And so I realized I had to teach them how to stalk and how to be a predator and how to um, occupy that space of power. So the book is a a guide in a way and also a declaration about the moralization of predator prey and how in our culture we've decided that predators are bad and prey is good and therefore men are bad and women are good and as such 
have not given ourselves the space to have an accurate felt sense perception of what a predator is, which is as sacred as prey because it's in nature, it's all necessary. I've described like what it feels like to be self-employed for all these years. And the reason I've been able to support myself and, you know, provide for my daughter, she's with her dad part-time as well, but um, have obligations, have the pressure on me to habitually need to pay my bills and rise up. I've described it like I feel like I'm a bit of a hunter, right? Mm -hmm. So my language is like, I have this hunting energy of going and finding the, the resources and using my skill to go and make things happen out in the world. But it is that like hunting energy that I, that I need. And I think that gets a bad rap, like you're saying, and I totally connect with what you're, what you're saying. I just use maybe a different word, but, and you go deeper in many ways, but it's like, you, even if you're not self-employed, you still need that like, ah, uh, energy to go and get what you need. And it's like, and know what you need, right? Know because what you need. A lot of women don't even know what they need. No. So right. identify it, then have an impulse, then mm-hmm. move on your impulse, then not be thwarted by what obstacles might come. And then the flight instinct, which it, to me is, seeing more options right because when you're in a flight pattern you're like okay where how do I get out what are well that's also what are all my options and as a person who's working for themselves it's like okay switch gears right now you got a podcast you can't be at your studio all right let's have a podcast right right you know like how let's make it work how's it gonna work and that's that's real adaptation and when we talk about the nervous system that's what we want we want to be adaptive to our environment and so we were we're required to have all of the it's not that the hunting is the best being hunted is also great um but we have to be able to do it all and i didn't have flight as an option there was nothing else i could do i could not run away from my business i could not run away from my obligations no one was going to come and rescue me so i needed to well you could some people do well, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, and that's okay too. Like, if if that's what helps people survive, but like, I couldn't run. Like, I there was no flight option, and there was no collapse option available to me. I had no safety net, and so that really helped me. Like, go. Ah. Um, and so one of my pet peeves with that, I think, for me, that's been like the most awesome part of single parenting is like, I don't think that would have awakened in me in the same way if I didn't have to, because I've partnered with people business-wise who don't really need the money. And it sucks because if it's hard, it's oftentimes really hard for people to wake up the hunter if it's not survival or financially motivated. The stakes have to be high enough. Totally. And it also makes me use my time more efficiently too. Like I'm like, I have this much time for this thing because I have other things happening. So it helps me create like a bit of a pressure cooker in me. And that pressure cooker is where my best ideas sometimes come from. Cause I'm like cooking, cooking, cooking. I feel the pressure in my body. Mm -hmm. It feels a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it verges on a bit of like, Oh, I feel a little bit sick to my stomach, but then it just like pushes me. And then I go boom. And something is like birthed out of me that would not have happened if I didn't have that pressure on me. Um, especially like time pressures. I totally understand. I would. So I have this deadline for this book and in my mind or like some part of my mind, I, and everybody has this, I think with writing where they're like, I don't know where we got it, but it's like from Whitman or something where we think we should like be off in a cottage and like be (laughs) overlooking something alone to write. And I've always known like, that's not number one, it wouldn't really work for me because I do need interaction. But number two, it's like totally impossible because my daughter's father lives in Brazil and doesn't do anything. So like, there's no, there's no escape. Like I have to figure it out. And then it's hilarious because now it's quarantine. So I really have to figure it out. Cause like, I can't even go out to a cafe with my computer. It's like, I've got to like, you know, my, my big move is like my countertop two feet away. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I and I like took on another class, created a class during this time. And most people would be like, you can't do that. You know, like don't take on, and there is a balance. Like sometimes I take on too much, but it's because if I didn't have that, the open time and space actually would not help me. It's like, mm -hmm. I need, I need the interaction. I need to be in the material. And because I'm like a living and embodied person, like I need to be moving and, and talking is part of moving, right? Like talking, expressing, having a feedback system for what it is. So well, what's know. your best idea that's happened lately in the pressure cooker? Oh, it's just like I'm still in school. So I'm in school online and I've been really um, instinctively drawing connections between Jungian theory and neurobiology. I'm not the only one on the planet, but it's just sort of like boom, 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 boom. It's like landing, you know? And it's just like one thing lands and, and um, so I'm presenting in an online learning platform and I'm just like, I'm just going for it. I'm like, I'm not young and trained yet, but there's certainly things I can share that are in my wheelhouse that really do speak to the whole person more than the nervous system, um, which I think is so important in really understanding our complexity, especially when we drop down into the body. Like it's just, it's very hard to make rational sense out of what's going on in our body and to be able to hold that exploration in place I think is super important and active imagination has been coming up a lot more in my life and I use it sometimes as a tool uh, from a somatic perspective so that's some of the stuff but I love how you stepped up though right you got your nervous system 911 thing right away you were like bam bam right you're like like you you have a way of sensing what needs to happen and the the shifts that need to happen and then you just do it yeah. I have, I have fun with it. Yeah. Clearly. I, that's been something that's been so cool is that, you know, 10 years ago, selling and marketing to me was like a dirty word and I hated it and I resisted it. And I just wanted to just believe that teaching yoga was my calling and I didn't want to call it a career. And now I just have so much fun with, because to me, selling is now educating as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like it woke something up in me that, um, and actually it's why writing a book is a lot harder because even though I actually did get a fairly big advance, it doesn't have the immediate um, dopamine hits that sales do. So it's hard to compete with that because right now I know, I know my audience, I know what people need and I know how to give it to them. And there's just such tremendous satisfaction in that. And then I have so many amazing people to talk with and collaborate with that it's like, like, so like, I just want to keep doing that. And to me, like sales is about relationship. When I first opened my studio, I did this like sales graph and it was the friends buy from friends, meaning the relationship building is what, what, it's really about it's about connecting with people what they need um and really showing up authentically as yourself versus the other line which makes you feel dirty that there's this manipulation this proselytization and this like reaching and trying to get right and so for me it's like when i think about sales and what feels good about it too is that i get this like affirmation that i'm speaking to people in the way that that is meaningful to them and I get that feedback when I see I try a new thing and then it works and I'm like, oh, well, I'm obviously tapping into like the collective and I'm showing up and I'm getting the affirmation that my hunch was right. Is that what you sort of feel sometimes? Yeah, and I also, I also feel like, I don't know. I, I think everybody has their way and somehow I just found a way to do it where it does, it just, yeah, it feels like more communicating. And even I was really resistant towards Facebook ads and it was partially kind of a social nervous system thing. I think, I think I felt safe knowing that it was like just the people, not like I know everybody following me, but like I thought, well, what happens when it's like more people see it and maybe it's, 
maybe it breaks down when people don't have common reference points. But really what happened with Facebook ads is like, it's just more commonality because of the lookalike audiences. There's so many, and it's sort of my karma as well as like, I'm, people joke that it's like seven degrees of Kimberly, but it's more like three degrees, like Kevin Bacon's got the seven degrees because <laughs> I know so many people because <laughs> mm-hmm. I just lived in a lot of places. And I think having um, red hair and like just standing out. I just, and you're an extrovert. And I'm extroverted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm good at keeping in touch in general. So um, yeah, it's just, it's so nice to be able to, and my, my aunt is a writer too. And she said, well, that's what writers do. You put right writer's job is to put words to things that people feel, but they couldn't express themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so exciting to be, able to offer things that people, because I, I was always really passionate about my work. Um, I've actually been really lucky. I've only ever done exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but it's even more exciting when, I don't know, I, I do remember feeling earlier on in my life, like I have so much to share and I don't feel like it's really getting received. And now it feels like there's an even reciprocity. So that's such a great feeling mm. it must feed, feed a lot of your sense of aliveness it does what are, okay so what's the thing you're most excited that you're offering um right now i mean there's it could be everything all at once but is there one thing you're yeah. like super pumped about i mean i'm really into this jaguar in the time of cholera that i did um i mean we're in the middle of it and uh tonight actually. So I have the schedule. So I teach four times and then I have four guest teachers, one on um, Tammy Kent taught on the womb and Liz Koch taught taught on the psoas and Elisa Fajardo taught on fascia and immunity. And then Chris Gonzalez is going to teach on the lungs. Mm. Um, And then I've just scheduled surprise things. So like the night before I'll just say, okay, tomorrow I'm leading a primal scream or, or, And so tonight we're doing a guided embodied pelvic mapping session. Mm -hmm. So everybody will map their own vulvas and vaginas and we'll be guiding people through that process. Mm. That's like very edgy and also super exciting and kind of is a example of what you're saying. Like we're not just going to talk about genitals, which would already probably be edgy for a lot of the people in the class and we're not just I'm not going to just show them a two-dimensional diagram of genitals I'm actually going to have them touching their own genitals with their clothes off and depending on the group um, I have someone co-teaching with me she will use herself as a demo to actually show an actual vulva and vagina being touched Mm -hmm. Um, but that might be like one step too far titration wise depending on the the group. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I find that whenever I do break those like mini barriers and those just might be my own too, like of what I think is okay or what's allowed. Usually I'm met with like, Oh my God, thank God. Like, this is what I've been wanting. Like, this is like, why don't we all do this? Why didn't someone teach me Mm -hmm. this earlier? Mm -hmm. Um, so I love doing the mapping sessions in person and in, you know, connected relationship with touch, but this is sort of like the next best thing. And also why I started teaching online because I just couldn't see any more one-on-one clients. My body wasn't holding up for it and it was just too much. Um, So I'm really excited to do that tonight. I've also been doing just some really fun, different things. And and last night I I used to be a hip hop dancer. And uh, last night I reconnected with a friend that I haven't seen for 20 years. And I saw that he was teaching the hammer dance on Facebook. Oh my God. And he's danced for everybody. He's danced for Madonna and Prince and like, and so I just wrote to him and I was like, I want you to come on my platform and like, I want you to teach like, because I noticed the other day I taught my daughter the electric slide and uh-huh. it's hard for me to get her to like move as much as I think might feel good for her. And she was totally into that. And so I was like, oh, I want him to come on and like, let's do all the, like, let's do the early Bobby Brown and like, let's just like learn all that, you know, cause I used to spend hours learning, um, th- that Janet Jackson, 
you know, now the girls are doing it with TikTok, which is super fun as well. And I've been enlisted into some TikTok videos uh, these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, have not included that in, in my marketing yet. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm like excited. I did one on skin in the nervous system that was like an in-home spa type of thing where my friend who does Ayurvedic facials led us through like giving ourselves a facial, which felt amazing. And, um, you know, it was like on the pleasure side of things, not just like I've taught on gynecological trauma, sexual trauma, it's a fucking downer, you know, and it's real and it's like, it's necessary because so many people have it and don't know that they have it. And that's what's, you know, they've got vulvodynia and it's because they had a shitty IUD insertion and they couldn't put that together and have been in like three year vulvodynia trials instead of like, let's just actually deal with the thing. So I'm not downplaying that. And I'm definitely like 5,000% committed to helping women understand their systems and how their genitals are connected. And, and frankly, like how specifically women's body parts respond to that kind of trauma and Mm -hmm. what we can do about it. But as you know, we all know like pleasure is such a huge part of that. So why not have some fun, right? Like people right now I'm dancing at the beginning. Like I start my class five minutes early and then I just dance at the beginning and then we start and people are like, your dancing was my favorite part of the class. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that because I'm like, okay, then maybe we should just have dance parties uh, (laughs) instead of like trying to teach something. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited about, and then I'm also going to teach, co-teach a parenting class, um, Jaguar Parenting, with Mm -hmm. my friend Ale Duarte, who is um, a very good friend of mine from Brazil. He's Brazilian, but he lives abroad now, and he has worked with children all over the world after natural disasters. When he came, he was a physical education teacher before he became a Ralpher and an SE practitioner. So he's going to like, it's different working with children and I have one, but it's not my expertise and he's worked with, you know, people all over the world. So I'm really excited about that because I know a lot of people are having challenges with just the situation and parenting, which is completely, and I can't even imagine if I had toddlers right now, like I would be doing my shit. Correct. Just yeah. perfect. Um, so where, oh, I always ask people, what are you listening to right now? It sounds like Bobby Brown music, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not listening to Bobby Brown. Um, it's music wise. What am I listening to? Yeah. Music or podcast. Yeah. Like I'm just, it says so much about where we're at because like music is a big part of my life. So. Okay. I'm well, curious. I'm super into D nice. So D nice is a DJ who's, spinning sets on Instagram and um he it's mostly 90s hip-hop but he'll he'll throw in like a disco set or a Chicago house and he's playing almost every day Mm. uh, but Saturday nights there's there'll be like 60,000 people on and you know Michelle Obama will come on and then um he's having a whole courtship with Halle Berry and everyone knows about it so Halle comes on and comments and then everyone's like oh play this one's for Halle you know it's um and he's making oh and I'm making t-shirts for my for my class right now so like I'm really excited about that um because I've never had any like swag and I I was inspired by D-Nice because he has these shirts that are like something like um I danced in the quarantine or basically something like that uh and what does your t-shirt say or have on it? It says Jaguar in the queue, uh, shelter in place anywhere. Nice. And then it has a Jaguar um, that one of my friends painted. Um, I am always listening to Stevie Wonder. Um, basically, yeah. God and Stevie Wonder are like the same to me. So I'm never not listening to Stevie. Uh, I am always also listening to Javon, who's a Brazilian... It's called Musico Popular Brasileiro, like pop, popular Brazilian music. Mm-hmm. And I listen to a lot of Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. So that's amazing. And I'm going to, in the show notes, like people, how to find you if they don't already know how to find if you. If they want to come to the hammer class, they'll, they can get informed of 
when the hammer choreography will be happening. Yeah, come to the hammer class. Yeah, so thank you. I really appreciate your time. I know you don't have a ton of it on your hands right now. Um, <laughs> Actually, I do. Oh, I mean, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm supposed to be writing, but you know. I know, it's hard. I, I try to put pressure on myself when I have to write by putting Chiasmos on. I don't know if you know those guys. No. Um, Olafur Arnold and a uh, friend have this like kind of and like deep like house but it's like has this like it's meant to put pressure on my system okay. a bit by kind of uh 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 you know so I tried to use that but I feel you it's like you just need the pressure you need a bit of the pressure cooker I mean I couldn't have more of one because I've got like you know a lot of work to do in three weeks but sometimes even that you know if you're in a deep enough freeze or Sometimes it's just like there's incubation happening that we totally. don't even understand, right? So it's the most non-linear thing that I've ever done in my life. The first one too. It's just like it's there's no understanding it. Uh, so, and people can find your um, book fourth trimester all over, and that was a yeah. best bestseller as well as I understand it, and much needed conversation. Um, but thank you for everything you're doing and um, thanks for just connecting with me um, online. And yeah, I, I love everything that you write and you put out there. I actually have right behind me, I have my big, you inspired me to get a big roll of white paper. Oh, um, yay. So I haven't laid on it yet, but I got it. And now I just, yesterday, my eyes were my eyes have just been really reacting to all this extra screen time. Oh yeah. And, uh, my eyes were just driving me crazy. So I just got out the big piece of paper. And um, one of the ways that I like re get myself into the book is by telling myself it's not a book, it's a movement, because ultimately, that is what it is for me. And if I'm just thinking about it as a book, it's just um, really hard for me to do sometimes. So I got out the sharpies and physicalized it a little bit in hopes that that would move it a little bit. Yeah, you have to write from a place inside. We have to write from, for me at least, even my little tiny Instagram posts are something that's moving inside of me and it has to go blah. So mm -hmm. I look forward to reading a book. It's like you're, yeah, you're pretty like, you're pretty, I don't know, sounds so 80s. I'm a, I mean, I was born in 73, but you're pretty rock and roll on the work that you do. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> anyway take care of yourself and stay you. stay healthy and all that good stuff thank you to my two most recent patrons Delaney Sanjanisi and Louise Trainer. your support means so much